Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always with Dr. Rayleigh Alou, who is a CREI fertility specialist, gynecologist and the Director of Women's Health Melbourne. Welcome, Rayleigh. Thank you. Welcome. Before we begin today's show, we have a little favour to ask. If you're a fan of Knocked Up, please rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other listeners find the show and the resources we offer. And if you're not on iTunes, rate our program on any platform that you listen to your podcast on, and it really helps us. So thank you. I think we're going to talk today about endometriosis when you can't see it on ultrasound. Is that what we're going to try and cover? I think because we've talked about how often you can see it in an ultrasound, but how do you even know if you don't have it, if you can't see it? So, look, it's, it's tricky. Um, endometriosis is common and it affects one in eight Australian women, uh, but it's even more common in women who have trouble getting pregnant. So I would say that it probably affects at least 20% of women who are trying to get pregnant and having difficulty. So it's, it's a really, really common issue and I'm actually really glad that it's a condition that has this year had a lot of press and a bit of um, publicity about it because it's one of those conditions that I don't think has really had enough of that and as a consequence we have women who are symptomatic of endometriosis being to some degree ignored and really put down when their disease can't be seen on ultrasound. When it comes down to endometriosis and, and what really is the disease process behind it. The problem is that we really don't know enough about it yet. It's a pretty cryptic condition. It's really tissue outside of the uterus that's very similar in structure and secretory function, which means the proteins that it makes, to the lining of the uterus called the endometrium. And that kind of tissue really shouldn't be present in the lining of the pelvis or on the bowel or uh, on the on the ligaments that attach the uterus to the sacrum which is the tailbone but those are some of the places where endometriosis happens. It can also happen on the bladder so some women who have endometriosis have symptoms that they in retrospect after surgery realise were due to the endometriosis and sometimes that those can be things like needing to pee more often or having an irritable bladder especially around the time of a period. But women you know from the first point may not even really realize that those symptoms are due to endometriosis because they're pretty non-specific. Well that's it you think oh I've got a painful period oh I'm going to the bathroom more than usual I don't think many women would ever go oh maybe it's endometriosis. Yeah and I think a compounding factor is that we only really have our own experience to draw from in terms of what's normal for period pain. And it can be normal to have discomfort with your period, but uh, we only really know our own experience. And while we may nowadays have more freedom to talk to, you know, maybe friends or colleagues about period pain, it's really been a pretty silent topic that women have suffered without conversation. So they haven't really had that yardstick, is my pain different? Is my pain worse than, than other people? Yeah, well, pain is so hard to compare. So we're saying one in eight women have endometriosis, whether they have symptoms or not. If we're talking about it being visible, how many people are, is it visible in on ultrasound? And then how many isn't it visible for? And then what do we do? So it's only visible in about half of the cases. In terms of 
the kind of things we can see on ultrasound. As soon as you can see any endometriosis on ultrasound, it's pretty much automatically stage three, which is kind of quite severe. So to see endometriosis on ultrasound, it has to be endometriosis that forms nodules or cysts that are filled with uh, chocolate fluid like endometriomas on the ovary. It can be seen when there's adhesions which is when scar tissue forms where one tissue type is stuck to another like if the ovary is stuck to the bowel or the uterus is stuck to the what we call the pouch of Douglas which closes the potential space behind the uterus so sometimes we see those things there can be some what we call soft signs or dynamic signs of endometriosis on ultrasound that can be more subtle but can be picked up by a really good scanner and I think in terms of women seeking I guess, facts and and information about whether endometriosis might be part of the picture that they're experiencing themselves, going to a tertiary ultrasound provider, um, and by that I mean a gynecologist who subspecializes in ultrasound because there are some um, really great units around um, Melbourne and around other places in Australia and internationally where the person doing your ultrasound is actually a gynecologist who subspecializes in ultrasound. And that's really the best setting to get the best chance of diagnosing endometriosis on scan and the kind of things that they look for apart from those obvious signs are whether you're tender to ultrasound probe pressure in particular areas Um, they might ask you to do a bowel prep so they can better visualize the interface between the bowel and the other pelvic organs Uh, they may ask you to let them know when things hurt they'll also be able to maybe comment on more subtle signs like whether the ovary is mobile or if it's a little bit more limited in its dynamic mobility. So things like that can can help kind of gauge a bit of an index of suspicion uh, as a surgeon whether we're likely to find endometriosis there. I can tell you statistically if I've really examined a couple who present with infertility, what we call primary infertility, which means they haven't had a pregnancy before. And if I carefully assess both the man and the woman and can't find a reason why they're not pregnant and they've been trying for more than a year, then in 80% of women in that circumstance where the sperm is normal, everything looks normal on scan, all the blood tests look normal, she's ovulating regularly, they're just not getting pregnant. In 80% of cases like that, if I do a laparoscopy, which is the gold standard procedure to diagnose endometriosis, we'll find some endo there. But doing a laparoscopy is surgery. Yeah. So endometriosis that is present on the skin lining the pelvis can cause quite a toxic environment for eggs, sperm and embryos. And that's how it causes infertility. And infertility is actually a symptom of endometriosis, but it can be a silent symptom. Like it's actually like a side effect of having endometriosis is that it affects your fertility. Yeah. Yeah. And so some women with endometriosis have really bad pain. Mm -hmm. Some women have pain without ultrasound signs. Pain, period pain, or is this pain all the time? It can be pain with your period. It can be painful sex. It's very rarely pain all the time. So cyclicity of pain is kind of something that we try and elicit on history to try and figure out whether someone has endometriosis. Um, I've had patients in the past uh, who when not trying to get pregnant, have been on something like the pill and have constant pelvic pain and come to me to ask if it could be endometriosis. And my answer in in those cases is that it probably isn't because endometriosis is a pain that flares up in a cyclic fashion in general. Uh, And it it generally uh, occurs either 
just before a period or at the beginning of the menstrual cycle, so for the first couple of days of a period most intensely. Some women get a bit of more extreme pain around ovulation, but those are really the timing points of endometriosis pain where it's at its worst. Some women get excruciating pain if an endometrioma, which is a endometriosis-filled cyst, bursts, and that can happen at any time. But So could something set off the cyst bursting? Look, generally not. It's just one of those random things. I, I had a patient once who had no idea she had endometriosis and basically doubled over in extreme pain while waiting on a random day on a railway platform when an ovarian endometrioma burst. And that's how we found out she had endometriosis. And she, she was taken to hospital and had a laparoscopy on that day. And that was how it was diagnosed. So look, sometimes women who have quite severe diseases, you know, don't know they have endometriosis. And unfortunately, the pain symptoms don't always directly correlate to the disease severity. So what I mean by that, is that some women with really bad endometriosis don't complain of pain and some women with endometriosis that you can't detect on ultrasound alone have really bad pain and as doctors we still don't know why that is. So you don't even necessarily have symptoms. So when you call it a silent disease we're talking about something that you can't necessarily see on a scan and don't necessarily have any symptoms of but you could have endometriosis all over your pelvic area. Yeah, because it does come in many different forms and the kind that's the most insidious and the most silent is what we call peritoneal endometriosis. Now, the problem with the peritoneum or skin lining the pelvis is that its nerve supply is pretty vague. So often you can't really 100% tell where the pain is coming from. I mean, you know that it's in the pelvic area, but it's not like when you close your eyes and put your finger on your nose and you know exactly where you're touching with your finger, even though you've got your eyes shut. That's what you call proprioception. So that's a kind of nerve fibre that really localises where that stimulus is coming from. Those kind of nerve fibres are absent in the peritoneum. So any pain that's generated there is just because of the nature of the nerve supply, extremely vague. And so it, it, it's really hard to know. Some women with endometriosis always complain of pain on one side of the pelvis. That's just how they perceive it. Um, when then you do a laparoscopy and they've got endometriosis on both sides. But just that's where they feel the pain and, and we really can't explain why that is. So if it's, as we call it, the silent disease, why should we diagnose it? So endometriosis can be the missing link in terms of why a couple are not conceiving. And really importantly, we shouldn't forget in this age of, you know, extreme technology and IVF um, advanced science, we shouldn't forget that there are surgical remedies that can treat infertility as well. And endometriosis is one of those conditions that can actually be treated best by surgery. And even though it is surgery and it does mean going under general, it's often a really quick standard surgery. Look, it depends. Um, endometriosis can cross a, a huge spectrum. So some surgeries for endometriosis involve kind of taking away particular areas of inflamed tissues and can be quite a simple 
procedure. Some endometriosis surgeries are planned well in advance with a collaborative surgical team. You might have a bowel surgeon present at the operation and sometimes you need to resect an area of bowel to fully get rid of the endometriosis and those procedures can be really complicated and have a higher risk of of complications happening. And you'd know about that before going in? Yeah, so those are the kind of cases where you definitely see issues on scan. Okay, so it's when you don't see it on scan it's more likely to be a straightforward... A more straightforward operation. In terms of the benefits, Mm. well, firstly, you know what you're dealing with, so it gives us an idea so that we can target therapies directly to combat the issues with endometriosis. Often with endometriosis, you can get a phenomenon called endosalpingiosis, where you can get some endometriosis-like adhesions within the fallopian tubes, and giving the fallopian tubes a really good flush can be really helpful at the time of a laparoscopy. Endometriosis deposits, if we surgically remove them, new healthy fresh peritoneum grows back so the skin lining the pelvis is much more healthy and the produced factors in the pelvic fluid are much less inflammatory. And so I personally find anecdotally that lots of my patients who I treat mild endometriosis surgically go on to get pregnant naturally. And in the couple of months after a laparoscopy, We see a lot of natural pregnancies uh, when couples are directed to try for three months after laparoscopy. So it's very rare, unless I find something serious at laparoscopy that I think is going to be um, really a deal breaker, like completely blocked fallopian tubes, for example. Um, I would usually, after resecting endometriosis surgically, send my patients off to try naturally for a little bit longer. And a lot of the time that pays off. We also know in IVF, and there's been a Cochrane review on this subject, which is basically like an analysis of all the published high-quality randomised controlled trials. We know that in women who end up needing IVF to get pregnant, surgically managing endometriosis, even early-stage endometriosis, improves IVF treatment outcomes and improves the number of women who fall pregnant with IVF treatment. So just optimising the pelvic environment from a point of view of the environment that the eggs come from and the embryo goes back to improves pregnancy rates in IVF. So the only reason not to do a laparoscopy for endometriosis is if a patient really doesn't want one. And there are other ways that we can try and make things optimal uh, if, if we suspect endometriosis, especially severe endometriosis, and we want to avoid a laparoscopy. Once it's been diagnosed, how does endometriosis affect IVF management? Well, for example, in that last case where if a woman doesn't want further surgery, maybe she's had a few surgeries already, for example. What I generally do, and again, there's a Cochrane review on this subject suggesting a fourfold increase in pregnancy rates with IVF, which is really significant, is we downregulate the hormones. So endometriosis is active when our hormones are active and when we're ovulating regularly. One thing we can really do to improve the environment of the pelvis in someone who has endometriosis is just turn the hormones completely off for a while. You have to do it for two to three months as a minimum time frame. What we generally use is a medication subclass called a GnRH agonist. 
um, which is a medication that turns off the pituitary glands signalling to the ovary. It's like a mini menopause, a, a medically induced mini menopause, completely reversible, of course. And what we basically do is starve the endometriosis of hormonal stimulation. So we kind of try and turn it off. Okay. And by doing that, we try and make sure that without surgery, the pelvis is as good as it can be. Now, we can downregulate before IVF and we can downregulate again before embryo transfers. So just the idea of that is to completely turn off endometriosis hormonally using medicines. Thank you so much, Raylia. Most welcome. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Knocked Up. For more information and resources, visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Look for Women's Health Melbourne and Dr. Raylia Lou. If you're a fan of the show and think it could help up more people, please leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. It really helps other people find us.